When I started working on the front line in Zaporizhia, we drove through uh, a machine gun fight. My car blew up. I don't want to die. I don't want to die. The Russians are up the top of the hill. They've got machine gun positions. I don't want to go, but I, I, I won't let them go alone. Yeah, that, that's yeah. always my thing. I didn't know what I was getting myself into to drive for what's called civilian evacuations, getting them out of the frontline towns. I had one Wagner prisoner. Uh, he's blindfolded, his arms are tied, and when you bring him into the medical point, there's always somebody with a gun. Do you think Ukraine will defeat Russia in this war? I have no doubt we'll win. I have no doubt we'll win the war. Have you ever been at a point where you thought you were really close to losing your life? A 50 caliber round that went by my head. I hit the ground face first like I was dizzy. This is the thing that it took me a long time to get over the... Welcome to the Eventful Lives podcast. I'm your host, Dodge, and I'm the founder of Bournemouth Sevens, the world's largest sports and music festival. On this podcast, I speak to fascinating people who have all lived eventful lives. If you haven't already, do us a favour, press the follow button and check us out at Dodge Woodall on Instagram, TikTok and YouTube, where we've now had over 80 million views. Brandon Mitchell is a soldier fresh back from Ukraine who talks us through the daily struggles of war, his run-ins with the Russian mercenaries and shooting a drone over Kiev. This is the eventful life of Mr. Brandon Mitchell. Brandon, welcome to the show, mate. Thanks a lot for having me, Dodge. Real pleasure. Yeah, I'm uh, really glad you made the effort. I know you've uh, just come back from Ukraine and you've been up doing lots of things with the Times and uh, TV shows up in London today. I appreciate you coming all the way down to Bournemouth. Let's roll all the way back. Where did you grow up and how did you end up on the front line in Ukraine for the past year? Where did I grow up? How did I end up in Bournemouth? How did I end up in Ukraine? Um, I grew up in a small town in Canada. Uh, province is called New Brunswick. If your audience are British, they've all heard of Nova Scotia. That's right beside us. And um, yeah, uh, my father's family are Lebanese. Uh, all small business owners, nightclubs, restaurants, everything. And my mother's family, they're all Irish. Um, suppose people like to hear about that. Uh, my mother, my mother killed herself when I when I was about a year old. Uh, I grew up with my grandparents. How did your mum kill herself? Uh, she hung herself. Um, I've I've learned a lot about my family history over the years. My uh, my grandfather, her father, he was in the Royal Canadian Air Force in Germany back during the Cold War, and um, uh, he was an aircraft mechanic, and a lot of men in his trade. Uh, they died young men uh, from cleaning the aircraft engines, the the chemicals they used back in those days. He um, he he had a bad a bad cancer. Uh, from all the details I know, he he had a remission after a long bout with cancer. But when the cancer came back, um, he, he decided to end his own life. So um, my grandfather and my mother, I you come to understand. I come to understand when I become an adult, try to, try to understand my family of origin, yeah? But I, I live with my grandparents, my, my father's parents. Uh, my grandfather was uh, the man about town, as you say, here in England. Uh, owned a lot of nightclubs. But, um, yeah, everybody knows my family. I come from a small town of about 15,000, 20,000. 
everybody knows who my father is. Everybody knew what my mother did. I didn't know maybe till I was about 25 when I really thought about that. Uh, when I became conscious, that was hard growing up with uh, a label. Yeah. I never got the same punishment as any kid in school. Okay, from from the from the teachers, anything, and I was always the um, I was always the nephew or the grandson uh, who got better presents at Christmas. But I uh, I never got the cane like the other boys. Cute. What's your accent? I'm trying to hear your accent. I hear a twang of Irish coming through with something else. I can't work out what quite. Everybody's it. hung up on that. Uh, I I grew up in the east coast of Canada. I lived here many years, uh, most of my adult life. I lived in Sweden for two years before the war, and I was a I was a kitchen builder. Who knows? But in Ukraine, nobody ever asked me about my accent. <laughs> you want to talk about Ukraine? Yeah, come on. Yeah, yeah. Let's get on to Ukraine. At, Let's at get on to why Ukraine. And how? Why and how? Why and how did you decide to jump in a car and take yourself to Ukraine? How long ago was it? So I I didn't jump into a car at all. I I jumped on a plane. If you want to make a fine point yep. of it. But I didn't jump out of the plane. Mm. Uh, I'm not qualified for that. No, I, um, I I was living in Sweden. I had a girlfriend there. I was a kitchen builder, and this is very so. This important. is so you were living in Sweden right in the during pandemic. Corona, I lost my business. I said, okay, let's go. Let's go to Sweden. So you left Bournemouth, went to Sweden. Yep. And then you've gone. Okay, from Sweden, I'm going to Ukraine I'm to going help. To Ukraine, I became a stone worker. In uh, I, I started working for a living for the first time in my life, and I worked for a company from Estonia. In Sweden, working for an Estonian company, doing marble, granite. So I got to know lots of people from Estonia. You know where Estonia borders, Russia, mm, right? Mm. Um, in that factory, there was 30 Ukrainians that worked there. Okay, I, I've been all over Estonia. I love them. I think they're fantastic people. I was so grateful. I had a good, not what I wanted to do, but I had a good job with good people. But when the war started, uh, I, I, I seen a bigger conflict. I seen Ukraine was the beginning. Maybe it would be Estonia. Maybe it would be Poland. I know a lot of Polish people from boxing here in Bournemouth. Yeah, lots. I was yeah. thinking about people that I knew. I could put faces yeah. on the potential victims. Mm. Do, do you understand? Mm. No far-flung conflict in the world. I didn't know anyone there. But I knew some Ukrainians. I knew some Estonians. I thought to myself, this would be World War Three. I felt obliged to go when Mr. Zelensky asked for help. Um, I, I, I squared away my life um, with my girlfriend. That was a disaster. Okay, she didn't take it well uh, with my job, um, with whatever money I had that she would have, but I would have some money to go. I, I, left, I left with a group of Swedish lads, uh, all ex-Swedish army, Swedish Marines and Rangers. Um, a lot of people talked about going to Ukraine. Not a lot of people went. A lot of people talked, a lot of people talked. We found a group through something called Signal. I, I didn't know what Signal was at the time. It's like WhatsApp. Everybody uses it in Ukraine. And uh, one guy, he just, ex-army guy, but he was a police officer in Stockholm. He just quit the police force to go serve in Ukraine. Um, and him and I, we talked about a plan to go together. And I, I felt I could trust him. Like right away, we had a video call with each other. I'd never met him in my life, but I could tell he, was, he wasn't full of shit. Mm. I don't know if you can say that in your podcast. We all met in Krakow on the 14th of March. And uh, it, I got to be honest, I was really scared. 
there was a lot of particularly Americans um, that were dressed like me, but they were going the other way west. Uh, I think the day before there was a missile attack uh, where the foreign legion base was. Many people died. I don't know. We heard a lot of rumors. We heard something on the news. But I, I had a contact uh, through a guy who knows a guy who knows a guy. Mm. Um, there was an old Canadian man there, ex-army man. He'd be about 60 years old. He, he, he went to Ukraine as a humanitarian volunteer. And he said, I, I can get you at the border. I can get your Swedish friends. I've got a place for you to stay. I didn't know what we were going to do in Ukraine. Would I be a soldier? Would I be a humanitarian worker? I just... It's like it's like show business. You got to show up, right? Yeah. Um, he picked us up at the border that first day, and I, I I remember there was women and children going the other way. There was there was CNN. There was everyone. Um, he drove us to Lviv, and, and 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 that chaos at the border. I'd never forget. He brings us to Lviv, and the, it's calm. There's people having coffee, ice cream. Um, he he rented out the basement of an old beauty parlor. It was like a like an esthetician, I think, is the term for it. And the sign wasn't in Ukrainian; it was in English. Uh, the business had gone bust, and it was a safe house uh, where all these foreign fighters and medics and soldiers would come. And there was there was no less than fifty of us there in the basement. There was British boys. There was boys from Finland, and this was supposed to be a secret safe house. And and that beauty parlor estheticians, the sign was still up in English. It was actually called The Secret Place. Um, <laughs> this is our safe house. Um, I was so scared because I heard rumors. I heard stories. There was guys who'd already been to Kiev. There was guys that joined the, the Georgian Legion, the Foreign Legion. And and I'm not doing that, mate. I don't mind dying for a good cause. Um, I was scared to join the Legion. What could I offer them? I got no combat experience in the army. I wanted to be really sensible, Dodge. And I, I, I said when I went there, whatever I would do, I'd never lie. You know, if somebody asks, can I do something? Yes, I can. Do you know how to do this? No, I don't. Yeah. Um, all the Swedish boys, uh, two of them had, were combat medics, uh, the four that I went with. They've all been to Afghanistan. I, I was kind of feeling a bit less than. They got invited to join a, a combat medical battalion. It's, it's called Hospitalos. That's, that's the patch on my side. Um, so look, yeah, hospitalieri. Yeah. Um, I said, "Wow, that's amazing!" And they and they said to me, "says Do you want to join?" I said, "But what would I do? You know, I'm not like you guys." Mm. They said, "Just come, just come." And I, I was very scared to go to Kiev uh, to take the train to Kiev. The battle was going on. What month are we talking here? What year we're, we're talking, talking in March? At the end of March, March twenty twenty two. Yeah, because we spent we spent probably about at least a week in Lviv, kind of farting around trying yeah. to get contacts. Nothing was happening. What did you go with? What uh, did you take with you? Backpack, big backpack. So I it was you and a backpack going into Ukraine, wanting to help. I bought a lot of gear on the way, equipment like army equipment. Uh, I don't know how much history documentaries. I was thinking Falklands War for some reason. A lot of hiking, a lot of hiking, a lot of living outside. Um, you know, I've been there 13 months. I haven't slept five nights outside. Um, I joined a medical battalion. Hold on, hold on. What did you say? There? You've been there 13 months. Over 13 months. And what do you say then? Five? I haven't slept five nights outside. You haven't slept five nights outside? Yeah, out of the whole 13 months. 
I was prepared. I brought a big bergen. I was ready for World War Three. There'll be no electricity. We'll be living off rations all the time. Rations will be everywhere around the country. I I had an imagination, Dodge. Yeah. A lot of people had an imagination. We went to Kiev um, and we met a man named Oleg and, and he was a hospitaller and he and he shows up in an army uniform similar to this. And he's like, you are a medic. You are a medic. What are you? Uh, I'm a gunner. Uh, that was Nico, one of my friends. And he said, uh, what are you? I said, I'll, I'll be a driver. You know, thinking I could be an ambulance driver because I'm pretty handy with a sprinter and a yeah, transit. Yeah. He said, uh, we, we have no driver position. Uh, if you want to be a gunner, we have two gunner positions that become available since yesterday. And it's not necessarily what I came there to do. Uh, I thought, what am I going to do? You know, I haven't fired a rifle in 10 mm. years. Mm. I fired them on ranges, on mm. exercises, never for real. Um, but I said I'd come and help, right? So I said, okay, I'll, I'll be a gunner. During the Battle of Kiev, I, I had no medical experience. The Swedish boys had, were combat medics. They put them on teams, on ambulance teams, and, and basically they were like sprinters, transits, painted green. Some were ambulances. They converted them to ambulances with welders, you know, putting in yeah. stretchers. They were sent out right away uh, to Irpa, Buchi, uh, <laughs> Irpin, Bucha. I never got to see anything in the Battle of Kiev. I was put on a medical course for 10 days. Um, there was about maybe 40 other Eng English speakers, foreigners there. And there was an American nurse, uh, no military experience, but she she was she was seven years as a trauma nurse, you know, in a big city uh, in, in Denver, Colorado. And, and she, they had courses happen in, in this basement of this church um, that was beginning in Ukrainian. Um, they were bringing in all kinds of people in the unit. Uh, some come from medical backgrounds, like a paramedic. Uh, we even had neurosurgeon students. Uh, we had veterinarians. Um, I've, I think the first, I've met many since then, but I think we even had a gynecologist. Okay. Anybody with any medical background, anybody that could drive, um, there was, there was. What are we talking here? How, how many people are we talking? Are you all meeting? There in was one, about a hundred. Are you meeting in one building? So this in is one building meeting, in a church. And this is the first time you're meeting all these different nationalities saying, what do you do? What do you do? Welcome. Come on, we're all here to help. Yeah, it was like this. There was probably about 60, 70 Ukrainians. At the time, there's probably at least 20, 30 foreigners. I only know this now, but at the beginning of the war, at the full scale invasion, because uh, our battalion has been around many years, they were about a hundred in strength. Okay, we've since grown a thousand. Okay. okay, but there was about a hundred, hundred in strength. And explain to me what it was like. You're in Kiev. What's Kiev like? What's what? What? You're you're there with hundred people in a building mm -hmm. learning. Who's telling you to go right? We need you to drive there because there's, there's something's happened over there. But we need you to drive there. Tell me, give me some sort of visualization. It's it's really weird. It's not like the army. Uh, basically, we had limited amount of ambulances, but the vehicles were coming. You know, okay. you'd see two or three a day. You'd see this white truck. It'd come back a couple hours later green. Don't ask me how fast they dry. Yeah. Um, they were forming teams. A an ambulance crew was four people, a driver, a gunner, a paramedic, uh, a paramedic's assistant. But those medical people could be from any background. OK, they were re like there was veterinarians. Yeah. OK. And what were you doing? I, I didn't have no medical background. They threw me straight into a training course and they did that with Ukrainians. 
it was because of the American Nurses Initiative they started an English-speaking course. Until, until the end of the Battle of Kiev, I'd never seen any combat. I heard it in the background, 10 kilometers, 20 kilometers, the explosion. I trained and I trained about 12 hours a day. Um, it was uh, even on the third day I gave my first IV uh, in a training scenario. When the Battle of Kiev ended, they brought everyone in. There's still a war going on everywhere else. I got placed on a team uh, with a Ukrainian woman. She was she was 28 years old. She was to be our commander, a Ukrainian driver, and she had she was wounded. You know the war's been going on since 2014. I I heard a backstory about her. She she didn't tell me, but people were telling me um, she had to have uh, plastic surgery all on her face. Because apparently a mortar round in 2017 blew out the side of their ambulance. So so for me, that was, wow. And, and she came back to serve. I was on her team. Mm. They sent us south. Uh, it's, it's called Zaporizhia region. Uh, that's what happened after Kiev. And they said, uh, you're going to go do a frontline rotation. You, Max, the driver, Dima, he was, a, he was an anesthetist, I think you call it here, an anesthesiologist. Mm. We were a four-man team. I didn't know where we were going. And I think it took about 20-some hours, 20, I couldn't tell you. It, it's not like it is now where there was Russians everywhere. They they had to plan a, a very long drive. I served my first month uh, in a hospital. Um, and, and this hospital... What did you get to see? What were you seeing there in the hospital? Um, it was one month and... I would say the first couple of days there was nothing. I, I was like, is this the war? And I think maybe about day three or so, we, we had no less than 20 guys come in. Uh, but they don't come all at once, you see. You get an ambulance or two. You could wait an hour. You could wait 20 minutes. Uh, I seen amputations. Um, the biggest thing I seen, the whole month of that hospital, I don't think I seen five gunshots. It, it was from artillery wounds. Okay, um, and and the weirdest thing I can't explain it. Um, they some of these guys on their skin, on their legs, on their chest. It almost looked like they had leopard prints. The whole skin. These were the small artillery round, like uh, very small bits of shrapnel everywhere. Uh, a red skin hole, hole, hole. I, I I seen people with giant holes. I seen. Uh, we also took civilians there. I um. I was basically like an orderly, okay? So I would I would prepare. I learned how to draw up syringes, drugs. Uh, I learned how to prepare them because I, I learned what type of people we were getting. So the doctors, they could tell me after a while. Uh, we would label the drugs in English. Draw me up dexamethasone. Draw me up dexaketaprofine. Draw me this for ketamine. We have the people. I was quite proud of myself. It doesn't mm. sound like much, but I, I learned my way around like to be like the referee, the third man in yeah. the ring of an yeah. operating room. Yeah. Uh, eventually they asked me to help with the with the actual surgeries um, because it, as simple as it is if, if you're working on someone's hand you might need someone to hold the skin back where they work with a hemostat a, a scalpel eventually they started letting me injecting some of the drugs uh, as well for concussions this is the biggest injury in, in the whole war I don't care anywhere you go in Ukraine traumatic brain injuries yeah. um, I was really proud of myself Dodge uh, mm. We worked together. There, there was there was a couple people that spoke English, and they taught me a lot of things. It 
it eventually led to frontline duty the month after. So what's the difference from where you are now to going frontline? I had a bed, I had Wi-Fi, and this is the thing that it took me a long time to get over the, the novelty factor. It's the closest hospital to the Russians. They're about 30 kilometers away, maybe 40, depending what way you go. Uh, but we got supermarkets. You can get fresh milk, Yeah, you know? When we went, our first posting was about, I'd say 25, 30 kilometers south towards the Russians. There's no fresh milk. Uh, there's no electricity. And I was I was really shocked. I, I was expecting this whole time I couldn't get this World War Three living in living in the trench, living like the Falklands. Uh, we live in houses. See, see, I'm a medic. I'm not a soldier. Uh, I, I've lived in this house maybe five kilometers back and it shakes at night, you know, and, 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 and it's quite scary. And the guys will say, oh, no, that was a kilometer away. You feel it. I've um, seen on your Instagram, yeah. you're driving along and there's bombs going off in front of you. I've seen your Instagram of you getting blown up. Yeah. It, looks, me, it looks good though, doesn't it? All those videos. I'm, I'm not... But, it, but you know what? I have to say, it's real. It's real. It's real. And you're coming on here right now and you seem really calm. Mm. But I can sense deep down you've seen a lot of trauma and a lot of stuff over the past year. Give me some examples of what you've seen, what's been the worst. It was probably, um, it's not the stuff that you see on Instagram. Um, I never started a social media till a couple months in the war, and that was purely for fundraising. That's yeah. all it's for, yeah. okay? Otherwise, I'd never be on your podcast because yeah. I wouldn't have pictures to prove it. Yeah. Um, when I started working on the front line in Zaporizhia, uh, we would evacuate casualties uh, to that actual hospital that I used to work at. I had the first man that ever died on me in the ambulance. I think we could have saved him. It's not only my fault, it's a lot of people's fault. But, you know, I, 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 I've been personally responsible for those. I don't film that stuff, you know. That, that's immoral and it's actually illegal to film casualties in Ukraine. Yeah. Some people do it and put it on you there. Yeah. Um, the most horrific thing I ever seen in the war, personally, uh, not talking about the civilians, I, I worked on what's called a medical stabilization and, and, and they take buildings where this is going to be a hospital because those guys won't make it to the hospital, uh, particularly in hot spots. Towards the end of my third month in Ukraine, uh, our team living in a house waiting. That's what a medic is. You live and you wait, you wait. They said in the next couple of days, there's going to be an attack. We're going to attack the Russians and you're going to move to a stabilization. Um, we didn't get told when we go, but about maybe two days later, on three in the morning, we woke up and, and I've heard the most artillery, I've heard the most missiles, I've heard the most rockets, and it did not stop till about noontime the next day. It went from about three in the morning till about at least ten in the at least ten in the morning. Boom, 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 and we got a call on Ukraine the, attacking. Ukraine attacking. Okay. And we got called, you go into the stabilization point. I guess we got called late. We went to this old building like a community hall. Uh, there was ambulances moving left, right and center. There was uh, army trucks. There was BMPs, tanks, different different things. Uh, um, you could hear it and you could hear it like maybe a few kilometers away. 
these are all guys that won't make it to the hospital. The medic determines that from the from the first point of care. Um, I know because I'm, I'm personal friends with the, the head commander of that unit now. He, he spoke perfect English. Uh, our worst day there, we had uh, we had 65 severe casualties. We had, um, we yeah, we had amputations. We had holes in legs. We had... Um, we had internal complications like penetrating chest wounds. Um, we had people with no eyes. Um, I, um, when the first thing, when you get a casualty in, what you have to do, they get put on a floor and they get triaged. They're like, he'll, I don't know what they say in Ukrainian, but I, I know what's going on. It's like, no, put him over there. He's going to die. No, bring them here and wait till... They don't even have beds. It's a makeshift hospital. They have about tables about the size of this. Um, I had a man, and, and, and it's it's not much. But do you know what a tourniquet is? Where you no. put a basically is a tourniquet, the around yeah, the, a yeah. strap over yeah, yeah, an extremity yeah. that stops the bleeding. Yeah. And I had to inspect a guy because the first thing you got to do, you got to check their pockets. We need their documents. They need to know who they are. If they die, we need proof of life. The families don't get anything. We need to find radios, grenades, and documents uh, and secure it to them. But I, I noticed a tourniquet high in his leg, and I, and I seen the hole with a bandage. But but through, through the bandage, I could actually see that there was still a small pulse of blood. Okay, so you see, there's good tourniquets. There's bad ways of putting them on. Uh, you can put a tourniquet on someone. If you don't put it right, they'll bleed slower. They'll bleed slower and slower. I told the doctors, I said, no, stop with that man. And and I reapplied a tourniquet on the guy at, until I seen the blood stop. That was the first time that I've ever done, um, I've done like what you call a triage call myself. Doesn't sound like much, but I was, because he, he was wait, he had to wait for a bed. Yeah. I, I stopped the bleed. I also stacked a lot of bodies there. Um, I, I remember, you know what a body bag is. I remember we ran out of body bags. So we have these heat blankets, these plastic blankets. So we we duct tape them, we gaffer tape them in those. Uh, I I worked there for that battle for about three, four days uh, towards the end of our rotation. Um, that was that was mid to late, mid to late June, my first year. Um, see, you, you, you want to see all the stuff and people can look on my social media. Uh, I started that later on driving around, uh, working civilian evacuation, casualty, a bomb goes off in the distance, but you're not, you're not holding someone, you, you know, you're going to and from, it's really scary, but I've, I've been there quite a, I don't know how many times, but when, an, when a man actually dies, or maybe we could have done better, that, that's, now you want to hear about the shock stuff, but me personally, that's, that's the stuff. Um, I, I, yeah, that's, that's the, that's the real stuff. Have you ever come across Russians? Yeah, I have. Uh, during that first rotation on the Zaporizhia front, we had, uh, Russian prisoners. We had two of them, uh, again, concussions. There, there, like there was no penetrative wounds. So you're helping the Russians who are injured. I wasn't helping them. The doctors were, I was just, if I'm honest, I was very curious yeah. I was very curious. Later on in the war, uh, in Bakhmut, I, I spent a lot of time in Bakhmut uh, from July on. Um, it wasn't. It wasn't till about January I seen my first Wagner prisoner. 
What's a Wagner prisoner? Wagner is, uh, I'm told, I, I'm not an expert, uh, but basically Wagner's an, a mercenary group. They they fought all over Africa, everywhere. They got really big in this war. So so they're not actually technically the Russian army. They're mercenaries. Um, s- apparently, some of them came out of prison. They, they were given a deal. You could get out of prison, and if you serve six months, you're a free man. I don't know if that's his background in Wagner, but uh, in, in January we we took one out of Bakhmut um, and we took him to the nearest to the nearest hospital point. So uh, you're saying these men are coming out of Russian prisons to join to join the Russian army mm. to fight for them? Yeah, that's what we're told. That's what the news says. How do you feel? How did people around you who are Ukrainian working this, knowing that two Russians are coming in? Roles reversed with the Russians. Get rid of the Ukrainians. Mm. Um. Well, I've um, I've seen. I've I've transported Ukrainian soldiers who were who were captured by Russians. Who, um, I mean, this is going all over the place. But I, I before I came back here, I, I worked in a place called Avdivka, south of Bakhmut. Uh, some of our guys were hung. Yeah. Yeah, my my friend Oleg, because um, I don't speak I don't speak Ukrainian or Russian, but I work on the medpoint, so the radio always comes and goes. Um, Oleg went and got eleven bodies. Uh, the officers were never found. Fa- who wasn't killed? Killed, shot, but but not officers, but soldiers were were hung in trees outside Avdivka. Um, yeah, I I know I know that happens, uh, and about us and the Russians. Because it's it's only the two occasions we had two me personally we had two early in the war uh, that would have been maybe eight May May but uh, I had one Wagner prisoner that we transferred uh, he's blindfolded his arms are tied and when you bring him into the medical point there's always somebody with a gun nobody talks to him uh, they ask the name um, everybody's curious okay. Because um, I'm not a fighter. I've, I've seen a lot of dead Russian bodies, but that's, that's, not, that's not a live Russian. Um, I've been shot at, but that's from a distance. But to actually see a real live Russian, I was really curious. And you know what? I get the feeling everybody was curious. I wanted to say something to him. Uh, but at the end of the day, I, I didn't think there was any honor in it. Like I wanted to say something really sarcastic, and um, but I didn't kill his friends. He didn't. It wasn't my. It wasn't my honor. I don't know if you can call it that word. Yeah. How Take, old roughly do you reckon he was? Oh God, he was. He he would he would have been a rough thirty if he was. Yeah, he was dehydrated. Um, I know that. I would say he was underweight. Um, you could count his ribs. And, and he he was just a concussion, uh, that man. That, like I said, the most common in. What were the Ukrainians doing with him? You treat him. Uh, the security services come. No, so not the army, but the actual security services. So they're not like the police. Um, and he, he has to go from a further point of care from us. So so medically, we can't, we can't discharge him to them. He would have had to go further west, maybe to Kostantinivka, which would be about another 20 kilometers to a proper hospital. What happens after that? I don't know. I don't know, Dodge. 
Is Russian and Ukrainian the same language, but just a different accent? No. I even can, you, I, can you hear, can a Ukrainian understand a Russian and vice versa? Uh, almost everybody in Ukraine I know of speaks Russian. Um, but Ukrainian, they, sell, they tell me the Russians don't understand it. Uh, there's people in the far east of Ukraine that aren't comfortable in Ukrainian. Uh, I can read Cyrillic now. I've, I, I did my Duolingo, if you know what that is. And I probably know about 50, 100 words. Most of the words I know are Russian, if I'm completely honest. Okay. Half the country speaks Russian. What sort of words were you learning? Buryet bliet nahui bliet. Which means? Not very nice. Go on. Buryat fucking shit fuck. Buryat's an ethnic group and they're, they're Russian fighters. Uh, I know how to get I know how to get to any point. Hospital, Bonitsia, uh Premo Prava Leva, front, right, left. Uh I, I've done I've done more driving than anything in Donbass. Mm. I I know all the town names, I know I know all my numbers, I know how to I know how to run the codes with the with the casualties. So I might not know what they're saying on the radio, but there's there's probably about Probably about 10, 15 words. It doesn't sound like much I know now. Yeah. I know what we're in for. Um, massive, yeah. massive respect to you, by the way. Thank you. Honestly, what I'm hearing now is huge respect. Well, I'm I'm very grateful to be here, but the reality of the world is if... I fund on social media, on a YouTube, on an Instagram. The way it works in Ukraine, and, and I feel a bit disingenuous about this, I have a camera, I get donations, I buy diesel generators, I document giving out the diesel generators, I get more money. Who I from? Buy, Who from? Uh, we have, we, they all come from Germany now. Uh, I found everybody through Instagram. That's how we, we found each other. Uh, international aid group, they help the fire brigades. And those guys, why do they help Ukraine? Um, no German's gonna watch this. They're all football hooligans. Mm. These guys, uh, or they were at one time, Stuttgart Football Club had relationships with Kharkiv Football Club. Uh, but a lot of these guys were paramedics, firefighters. You know, they formed a, an NGO that formed out of the war. They bring my generators every month, every two months here in England. Do you know the kind of aid we get from here? Um, I buy radios f through my Instagram and my YouTube and they come from Radio Trader up in Widnes near Liverpool. Uh, since I've been in the UK, I've actually met them in person. Sophie, who sells them to us, her husband just so happens to be Ukrainian. <laughs> we get a good deal. Brilliant. Every week, every two weeks, there's a boy from Blackburn, and I only found him through Instagram. He gets a Ryanair flight to, how much is a Ryanair flight to Poland? Not much. Mm. Yeah, he pays about 500 euros in baggage. He, he brings things like radios, night vision, brings them over, not just to me, but there's people like this in England. There's people like this in Europe. We found each other through Instagram. That's so basically you works. set up your account and the knock-on effect of setting your account and the reasons why is because you knew you were going to get funded. Basically. And there's lots of people out there without accounts, I'd imagine, who aren't getting anything sent to them. I think they would have gone broke and gone home. Okay. There are some. Uh, I do have friends who are in the, fo I'm not in the foreign legion. Uh, I know some of those guys don't have, uh, any social media at all. S some of them when do. When you some first went don't. there, was there Ukrainians wary about you? Very wary of us. Very wary of us. Um. Why? The accent? 
the attitudes, attitude, okay. the attitudes. Um, I don't mean to disrespect anybody, and, and there's some fantastic soldiers in this country, in America, but more often than not, it's 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 the Canadians, it's the the British, the Americans. Uh, a lot of them went to Ukraine, who like the soldier types, and were like, "Yeah, I was in I was in thirty two commando. I was in I was in fifth group special forces." The Ukrainians don't even know what the fuck you're talking about. Yeah. Um, they just want to know: are, are you a gunner? Are you a driver? Yeah. And then, are you one of us? Can you help? Yeah. Y- yeah. Have you ever been at a point where you thought you were really close to losing your life? Yeah. Yeah. I. Um, everyone likes to talk about Bakhmut, 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 but most of my war story is in a town called Soledar. And Soledar is northeast of Bakhmut. You could probably drive there in a hurry in about 20 minutes. Um, in July, uh, I had an opportunity to go work. Um, I didn't know what I was getting myself into, but to drive for what's called civilian evacuations, getting them out of the frontline towns. And uh, I did a few of these jobs in villages for about a week. Go into the village drive through the mortar or whatever it would be, get this person and go. But Soledar was an actual city. It wasn't It wasn't a village, you know. And someone said, uh, you can't go to Soledar, Ukrainians, foreigners. But my partner at the time I was working with, Philip, said, we're going to go to Soledar tonight because uh, I, I have the contact details of a woman in the town. There's seven people that want to go. And... Um, it was very, very scary for me. Uh, there wasn't a shot fired. I'd never been to Soledar, but I had an imagination. Uh, we, we talked to the army, the guys in 93rd Brigade. We, we found the place on the top of the hill, well away from the Russians, probably four or five kilometers away from them. But uh, there were seven people, and one of them was a mother, and she had a baby. She had an infant and um, crying baby. And you can't drive with your lights on at night. Uh, we don't have night vision. I had a crying baby driving in the pitch black. I even had to drive with my head out the window, you know, not to have any reflection. Uh, probably one of the scaredest I've ever been in my life, but for another person. For, imagine a baby. Mm. Um, the next day after that, we went back to Soledar and uh, we came with my Pajero. And for the next week, we probably got 40, 50 people out a day going from place to place. That's where you've seen those uh, uh, some of those artillery shots in my, my social media and things blowing up. But um, one night we, we went further. See, all the civilian work, it, it tends to, you tend to do the easy work first and then you go, you go further. It's counterintuitive, right? Uh, but word gets around the villagers because they know how to move around. Oh, these people want to leave. Um, one night, we drove through uh, a machine gun fight and uh, we went to a house to look for people that were never there. And the army guys uh, were saying, you're here for the civilians. Where have you been? We were expecting someone for a day, two days. They took all the civilians and uh, there was there was 17 people. They brought them up to a school up the road because they have basements, all the Soviet buildings. They have like, like bunkers. Um, I, I actually drove through machine gun. Um, 
my car never got hit, but I, I, I could actually see things that like, like bouncing off a building. Um, I, I was so scared uh, with Philip. He, he's braver than me. Uh, I packed my Pajero like sardines. And Philip said, bring them to Nosova, uh, northwest to Solid, in Solidar, but safer. Come back and get me in the rest. And uh, it's kind of embarrassing. I've watched the, I've, I've uploaded up my YouTube. I, I almost like a little girl. I was crying as I know Philip. I might not come back. I might not come back for you. Not, not that I might, I might, I might bottle it. Um, I went back and got Philip, and I got the others. Um, but that, that's my biggest fear. My, my fear is like that, that my fear will cripple me, like fight night. Yeah. Yeah. Um, two days later, uh, we were working there again. And then he said, uh, do you want to go to Knopf even further east? And, uh, I was foolish enough to look at a map the night before that's Russian. Um, we drove out Solidar's a mining town. So there's like a lot of quarries and pits and we drove through the last residential area. There's a big bush, a tree line. And uh, then the road gets really dusty. And he says, no, now Victor's been there today. There's mines. But you have to follow Victor's tracks. So we, you have to follow the tire tracks. There's not too many cars moving there. Um, and you have to cross the bridge. And then you have to cut right as quick as you can behind the buildings. The Russians are up the top of the hill. They've got machine gun positions. Um, I went through with them. I, I didn't want to go. I don't want to go, but I, I, I won't let them go alone. Mm. Yeah. That, that's yeah. always my thing. Yeah. I, I won't let, I won't leave you on your jack. Um, at the bridge, it's what you call low ground. And I knew enough from the army about how dead ground works with machine gun. They can't actually see you. Uh, the Ukrainians had mined the bridge, uh, with, with these big pucks, these anti-tank mines and had to drive like a, like an S pattern, uh, around the mines. And then you got to drive up to where these buildings are. You can't go anywhere other than that because there's craters in the road, but you're trapped behind a big, tall, like a council estate. Um, then they started firing on us. The like mortars go up, they come down. Um, we, we got, um, we got, we got nine people out um, over the run of like an hour. Um, there was, there was four kids. Uh, they were all boys. Uh, I think, I think, you know, maybe the oldest one was like a tall, probably just hit puberty. The youngest one would have been like four years old. I, I gave one of them my helmet, you know, uh, the, the old man uh, said, uh, we got to get a babushka. We got, got to get the old lady uh, down the street. OK, I don't want to do this. I want to get the fuck out yeah. with them. You yeah, know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. I, but it's like, OK, and I'm glad we did. Um, when we're crossing it, it's it's like a residential area with houses and trees and some of them are blowing up. But but then there's like a big crossroads over to like the council estate side. Um, looking back now and, and other people have told me it was probably like a, a 50 caliber round that went by my head. Uh, I've heard later on that th those things can actually cause brain hemorrhage without even touching you. Mm. I, I don't know what happened, but I, I kind of got I, I, I hit the ground face first like I was dizzy. I got up and I ran. Um, I hid behind a building with this family and from that building to their house, that's, that's not 500 meters, 400 meters. Victor said to me, take the family, uh, take the family, bring them back to the collection point out, outside of Solodar altogether and come back because 
because Philip has just run off on his own and he's found more people. Um, but the truth is, Dodge, I, I bottled it again. Um, I wouldn't leave because of the mines. I asked Victor, well, have you got any more people? He says, yeah, I got two more people coming. Um, well, I've got the family and I can put them in mine. Can we wait for years and, and I'll drive behind you? And, uh, you know, I kept those kids and everything. I, it, it's on my YouTube, Jesus, uh, the things I do for funding. Um, you know, the little boys crying with the, with, with the helmet in, in his ears. But I didn't want to be the one to drive first in the mines. You got the anti-tank mines. Uh, you got to drive around that S. And the Russians can drop mines from the air. So the big mines are Ukrainian, the tank yeah. mines. The little ones, like the anti-personnel, are Russian. Yeah. Um, but you can't see those so clear. I basically wanted to... I basically wanted Victor to go first. Yeah. <laughs> um, we got them out, and and it's scary, and, and, and we drove them out. But again, my friend Philip stayed. Uh, we got to go back. But but it was getting towards dark, and, and you remember what I told you about driving in dark and mm -hmm. solar dark, and, and, and now it's a lot further. When you come out from the tree line towards the quarry where the road breaks up, um, we should keep distance, 100 meters, 150 meters. Nobody actually knows what that is in Ukraine. Well, keeping distance from each between car. Between the cars. Okay. Between okay. the cars. And the reason for that is? Well, if one shell hits, maybe one gets hit, the other one can help the other one, or okay. we both don't go at the same time. Okay. Or we're not such a tempting target for something else, mm. like a, a direct fire mm. weapon. But uh, I wasn't thinking. Uh, when we come around the corner, I was right on his arse end, and... And then, because I'm the pack guard, the, the dust flew up. And when I come around the corner, uh, my car blew up. I, I, I've I, watched the video because the camera was recording, but I, I remember like a hot, hot flame. Like like I could feel like on my skin, like like, a, like it felt like an infrared sauna. Yeah. Um, the windows exploded, uh, the sides, the front, the instruments, the panels. I, I actually, I think I seen uh, my phone charger in the, like the cigarette char cigarette port there actually blow out. Um, I don't know how I did it, but I, I've driven my whole life. Uh, I instinctually, it was an automatic, uh, that truck. I, I put it in park. I just, I just pushed in the little button and mm. I slammed it in park and and I opened the door and, and I and I came out uh, like as drunk as you would like. Mm. And it was only the other day someone told I, I, I told the story to a friend. I stopped. Uh, it was two anti-personnel mines that blew, blew up my truck. Um, I stopped a meter from an anti-tank mine. If there was an anti-personnel anti for people, anti-tank, yeah. what, what does a Mitsubishi Pajero mm. stand a chance? Mm. Um, Basically, the, the Russian mine saved my life from the Ukrainian mine. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I got, um, I, I was in a real mess and I, I don't remember it all, but um, there was a un Ukrainian position with like an anti-tank weapon up, up in the hill and, and those boys came and got me. Um, How did the Ukrainians know that you're fighting with them? Is it the badge? The badge. What's the difference between the uniform you're wearing and the Russians are wearing? Well, this is a multicam uniform. The Ukrainian army wears a pixelated uniform. The Russians also wear a pixelated uniform. Now the Wagner guys have uniforms like me. Uh, I wasn't wearing it at the time, but a lot of time we have tape. 
we have different color tapes and they change for the area. I, I won't go into yeah. I won't go into the tapes, but uh, I, I wasn't wearing any tape at the time. But uh, I wasn't speaking Ukrainian and I wasn't speaking um, Russian. I don't think the Russians have any English volunteers, but I, I was crying like a baby and screaming. Uh, they came down and got me uh, fr from the tank position, a couple of the boys. But I do. I was smart enough. I I grab. I got. I grabbed my helmet. It, it blew off my head because I, I didn't have it strapped. I grabbed my med pack and I had uh, ten packs of Malbro in the glove box. And don't ask me. I I I knew right away. I did not forget about the Malbros because <laughs> uh, I might have been in for a night. Mm -hmm. But eventually, uh, they got me evacuated that night to Kramatorsk, uh, Dnipro. Uh, thirty day. Well, almost thirty days altogether. Uh, eventually to Kiev hospital. Uh, I've, I've lost, I've lost pretty much all the hearing in my right ear. And I do have, I do have some cognitive decline. If, if I can be honest, I'm not stupid, but I'm not as quick as I used to be. Yeah. Um, I, I, I was out of service for about six weeks altogether. Yeah. You're seriously brave man. Hmm. But I told you how scared I was. No, I can hear. I can hear in the voice. Uh, I, and I couldn't think. There's not many men that I know who are as brave as you. I know you're being honest now, saying you're scared and crying like a baby, what have you. But I think 99.9% .9 of men would be feeling exactly the same. But Are you carrying anything? Are you carrying a gun? Not then I wasn't. Uh, not, with the, not then with the civilian work. Uh, Why not? Sometimes I do. Well, uh, even some soldiers don't go with a gun, uh, like like regular soldiers in the army when they do civilian work. If they need to get them out of the area, yes. But uh, quite often, the soldiers, a lot of civilians are distrustful of the army because they feel it's the army that brought the trouble to them. You know, the reason their town's getting bombed is because of the army. If the army would just go to the next town... This is only what's translated to me from other what's the people. Word, what's the word on the street as a Ukrainian? So you're a Ukrainian family. You've got your daughter and your son shipped off with the wife over the border to Poland, etc. The men are fighting. What's, 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 the, what's the truth? About, about, what, about the war? Yeah. Well... If you're a Ukrainian, what's the truth? If you're a Russian, what are they being fed? I don't know what they're being fed... Uh, I try not to look at any social media except my own, unless it's someone I work with and I want to see, you know, the humanitarian work. I know a lot of people, yeah. but uh, I, I know in Kiev, they, they have a different idea of the war than what we do. Uh, unless they know somebody who, who's telling them what's going on, they just they can go by TikTok just like they're, just like kids here in England. I just explain to me what Kiev is like. Is it like a, a city in England? Is it like a there's cafes and bars and restaurants? What what what? what it's food? hipster central. Is it? It's hipster central. They've got the most beautiful girls in the world. They've got the most. They've got guys who look like they're walking around like Depeche Mode. They've got they've got an area like gentrified that you and I could maybe you couldn't even afford to live in. Um, they've got wealthy people. They've got you know, they've got poor people. I think it's a city of oh, it's got to have at least five six million people. Wow. So it's uh, a full-on cosmopolitan city. Full-on cosmopolitan city. And that's the only area where the Russians can't get to. They can go anywhere they want, but uh, I know the war has changed. Uh, you can drive to Dnipro, which I, I think it's a great city. It's like a working-class city. It's like 
you know how Londoners are. Dnipro's kind of like Manchester, a bit rougher, okay. but friendlier people have a chat with you, yeah. you know? Even if they don't speak the language, I get that feeling on the street, you know, especially wearing uniform. Have you got any stats on how many Russians have been killed or how many Ukrainians have been killed? Over the past Again, year? you're asking me things I don't know. Uh, go to Times Radio. Go to... Um, I know what my friends tell me. Um, what, I, they tell, what are your friends telling you? Well, I know one, like, for example, my buddy Alexei. Uh, he, he's been my casualty a couple of times, like, like shrapnel. He even caught COVID. I, I worked on a med point outside of Bakhmut, so they, they sent him to live with us for a couple of days. Uh, he's just one guy who joined on the 24th. He's killed about three or four so far. I mean, that's not very revealing. It's not. Um, How I, would you feel about killing a Russian? I don't really think about it. Um, I've only... I've only have had to use my gun twice in the war. I, sometimes I have one, depending on what brigade we work for, because um, because medics don't have to carry one. Uh, they can if they want. Some choose not to. Um, in in Solodar towards the end, in the end of January, I, w I was there. Um, but the only kill I have in the whole war was in um, it was October November coming out of Bakhmut with three guys, uh, we have like these block posts, you know, where you, a security check, uh, you have to give them your password. And if you don't have the password, you've got to get searched. Um, the police were there and there, there was a, there was a drone in the air flying low and we were driving out. Uh, I, I'd never fired my gun yet in the war, you know, except on a range. Uh, we got out to have a look. You could see the red dot in the sky wouldn't have been 100 metres up, 50 metres up maybe. And all of a sudden the police just, three of them just started shooting at them with AKs and and, and we were like, fuck yeah! And there was four of us and, and one guy had a shotgun, oddly enough. Um, and I had a red dot on my rifle, like a, like a it, it's like a guide, like a like mm. a scope. And, and after about the third shot, I just took calm, cool, single shots. They were all going automatic. I'm pretty sure, I'm 90% sure I nailed the bastard. Um, it was real funny. The cops, when the, where the drone fell, like to the left of the block post, I don't know, maybe 20, 30, 50 meters away. They started like it was rainbow six, like it was storming the Iranian embassy. They were like moving. Dun, 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 dun. And I, even I knew, and I, I've not, you know, I've, I've, I've never been in the thick, thick. Uh, well, I got blown up and shot at, but you know, not like the hard bastards. Mm. Right. Mm. Um, I was like, guys, what are you doing? And and I walk over to the drone and I'm like I felt really good about myself because I I'm I'm positive I was the one who took out that drone. Hmm. Couple minutes later, like like the drone was all zzz, 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 one of the wings, <laughs> and this guy comes out. Now we bleed, suka bleed, and he's Ukrainian. I shot down a Ukrainian drone dodge. Yeah. <laughs> and and then right then and and I always like to to have a banter with them in like the. I don't know, 50 words I spoke at the time. Not then. I just, well, lads, that's really bad there. Mm. I, I I guess it just happens. It's war, right? Mm. I got to go. Bye. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> the cops, uh, the cops came to us afterwards and um, we were about to leave. And they said, uh, have you boys got any ammo? So, yeah. It's like, can we have some? I said, yeah. I don't ask questions. I, yeah. I never ask for interpretation. This gets told after. And it was Vova or Max that told me, he says, yeah, they wanted some ammo because they're not army. Whenever police shoot their gun, they have to fill out a report. Mm. 
if it's a Russian drone, it's all right. But uh, for a Ukrainian, so anyway, we got the cops off mm. the hook. Mm. Different world, eh? Yeah, a different, world. different world. What's what's um? Do you think Ukraine Ukraine will defeat Russia in this war? See, now you're asking me the abstracts, and that's one I can't answer. Uh, I I don't know how, but I I have. I have no doubt we'll win. I have no doubt we'll win the war. And how long do you think it will be until the war is stopped? Mm. So it's just my opinion. Um, I think it depends on Western aid. Um, and I'm just talking opinions now. I think it's a, I think it's a, I think it's a cruel, sick game. I think uh, BAE companies like them, like Saab, Boeing, the weapons producers, they don't want this to end. Uh, they get to try out all their new toys. Um, and so many people criticize us on the internet. Oh, you're not doing this, you're doing that. Uh, you should do this. And some of them actually know what they're talking about in a Western sense. But but we just live in holes because of the drones. They see it. We see everything and they see everything. We know that they we know where they are and they know where we are. But um, until we get more of those... You know, those HIMAR missiles, things like that. I've seen HIMARS launched uh, three times. One time I was even in, in the pitch black. I was a couple of cars behind and I didn't know if a tank was trying to pull it out and out. I started playing on my phone. It was back a bit. I was I was about 20 meters from a HIMAR missile being launched. What a feeling. Not mm. like a roller coaster, I'll tell you. Mm. When, we, when we have those, I, I don't hear much of those anymore. Um... It just seems to go on and on. But what I can comment on, um, my, my last my last two months, I, I served in Avdivka uh, with 36th Brigade, that's the Marines. Um, we had some really heavy casualties. Um, we had some really heavy casualties and, and a lot of those men were lost and unrecoverable and we don't know about the fate uh, on one particular night. I, I won't go into numbers because I don't know the exact number. But um, it was all a matter of uh, lack of drones on our side. Lack of drones. We we don't... When the moon, wounded men came back to our med point, I've never seen this before ever in the war, uh, I, I was patching up his neck. Necks are quite dramatic, but it, w it wasn't super serious. They would not let him go to hospital, uh, this sergeant. They wanted to talk to him and with a tablet and the map and to, like the last known position. We lost a lot of men. And... Uh, Truth is, we don't really know the fate of a lot of them. Uh, we lost a lot of drones quite early in that. It's, I don't know how, I don't know how bad it is, but I, I think it's a lot worse than any war that, since Korea. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've, I've seen missile attacks. Uh, my own house got hit by a missile. Um, is there someone in Ukraine, like the SAS, who can, who are out to go and take Putin out? Mm. is the well they've got they've got some I've heard a lot of stories about special forces uh, I've heard stories about guys that um, go into Russia I've heard I've heard and it's just a story but I like it and yeah. I believe it to be true I heard there was a man that uh, in cities like Belgorod uh, which is is a big city he would uh, Ukrainian man act like a drunk you know and and he and he was half drunk all the time and uh, he used to take the buses and and used to go do things you know things would blow up it's it's only a story but i like it and 
it fits along with the news. Mm. But if there was SAS, um, if there was, hypothetically, not that they'd ever talk to someone like me, of course, I think they'd be, have if they were coming there, special forces, I think they'd be flawed in their viewpoints because uh, human nature, um, cops have cop friends, uh, you know, army guys have army friends, you know how that goes. So they would probably want to make contact with special forces guys. They would probably want to make contact with, let's say, hypothetically, the foreign legion, whether they're special forces or not, other people they could teach English to. But they probably wouldn't be talking to the regular Ukrainian units. Uh, they probably wouldn't be, they'd probably be seeing one aspect of the war in a very big war. Um, and those type of people, if they were in Ukraine, they'd probably be feeding that sort of information back to the army and Rishi Sunak based on that limited scope. I'm not saying they're there or not. Of course, I wouldn't know about that. But if I had my opinion, I think they should, if such people were to be sent there, they should be regular captains, they should be regular sergeant majors and regular tank units, regular infantry units. And if they dared, they should send them out there to, to see the regular everyday war. Yeah. It's not a special forces. I know that much and I'm no expert. Yeah. It's a grunts war. Yeah. It's a grunts war. Are you seeing, how much artillery are you seeing being sent over from the West? Well, it depends on the day. Um, I don't, I don't know if you know this, Zelensky or Zelensky don't send me a memo dodge, me specifically <laughs> every day. Mm. Um, I only know when I see new stuff come around. Um, I don't know about the artillery, but it, seem, it seems to me that we have to spread it thinner. I've, I've been in a couple battles before where, where Ukraine advanced. Uh, I told you about the one in Zaporizhia. Mm. Uh, in Bakhmut in end of November, early December, there was another battle, that, a failed offensive on Ukraine's side. I hear a lot of artillery. I hear a lot of mortar. But unless it's a, an offensive, I have no doubt the Russians have more than us because I, I hear I hear more in the distance than I do close. You think the Russians have got more artillery than you? No doubt. I hear it. I hear it. And uh, I'll tell you what, when you're in a town long enough, it, if you're there for half a day, when I hear a shell, depending on the distance, I don't know where it's going to hit. It's it's probably going to hit in the same area unless they change around. But I can almost tell you within like five, six, seven seconds, I know I know when it's going to hit. Have you got the fear of losing your own life? I don't want to die. I don't want to die. Um, but there's there's worse fears I have. What are they? Well, I got a lot of good friends now, you know, um, like it uh, doesn't sound like much, but it, it was only a month before I left Ukraine. Um, I did my first IV catheter in a combat situation. Um, uh, our house just got blown up and two guys got hurt outside. Uh, the guys lived, they killed our cats. But um, what happened you know, I've done that in an ambulance. I've done that in a hospital. But that was my first time, like, under red light, under people screaming and glass and mud and blood. And and, and that was a special team uh, that came to live in our area. And, and they're only there for a couple of weeks. Those are, like, the those are the real boys. Yeah. You know? And, uh, and I was, like, 
you know, maybe for five minutes, I didn't think about it. I was the most important person there and, and I did my job. And anyway, the, the commander of that team who incidentally speaks good English, uh, he, he's become my best friend. And, uh, and n not only him, but I, I'm scared I'll let them down. They can't leave. There's nowhere for them to go. And, I, and I'm not just talking the badass commandos. I'm, I'm talking, I'm talking nurses. I'm talking doctors. I'm, I'm talking volunteers. Um, I, I'd be scared if I let them down. Yeah, that's, that's, that's my, that's my biggest fear. Yeah. Now you're back here. How long have you been back here for? Um, I, I came home on the, the 19th of April, uh, still living in Sweden and I I've I've been doing speaking uh things with with volunteer organizations who help us one organization in, in Sweden actually gave me a car well a, a Land Cruiser uh they brought over 200 diesel four-wheel drives to to the army of Ukraine I I've been helping them go going around to speak and uh I just came I came back to the UK uh on the 8th so how many days that was last Friday wasn't it yeah and I, and I've done speaking, um, YouTube, um, different events, and, and now to come see you. Yesterday I was on the floor above Pierce Morgan. Yeah, I hate Pierce Morgan. <laughs> uh, I I shouldn't say this, but uh, when I finished my interview at Times Radio, I went and used the loo, mm. and I, I I quite fancied that Pierce was on the floor below me. Uh, <laughs> I I'm having uh, before I go back I suppose I'm having my 15 minutes of fame. Yeah. But I'm trying to I'm trying to raise more support for us. Trying to raise more more and more awareness by doing what you're doing now. Mm. Yeah. You're a special human being, Brandon. Yeah. Some I'm people really, some people say I'm pretty special, my ex misses. Yeah. You're really really special in what you've done over the last 13 months. Are you going back or are you staying here now? Are you going back to Ukraine? Yeah, in about a month. I I'm going on a course. Uh so I, I've got I've got a couple more of these speaking things. Uh, I I grew up in Canada, so I I got invited by the CBC, which is is a big network and the equivalent of Parkinson, yeah. who I grew up. That that's a that's an ego trip. Yeah. But I, I'm going to do those and with the Ukrainian. And, and right before I go back, I'm going on a I'm going to Texas for a course, uh, a shooting course. Um, I I stopped fundraising for so much for generators and things. Now I I focus more on the solution. Mm. Night vision and thermal scopes for rifles. Uh, so far, I've I've I brought about fifty thousand euros uh, in in night vision. Um, I I can speak about the night vision how well that's been working because because I, I I also work on a in an armored vehicle, mm. one of the lend leased vehicles, um, the machine gunner and the driver, but but also for the rifleman. So so I'm going to take a course from. Well, Texas. Where else would you learn to yeah, shoot? Absolutely. But I'm 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 learning how to uh, how to teach uh, marksmanship principles at night, and um, yeah, uh, so far on this current fundraiser, I've, I've my goal was thirty thermoscopes, uh, which is is a little over thirty five thousand euros. I I've got about twelve of them so far, so it's it's it, I I suppose I've done well. Mate, you're special. You're mm. a special, special, special Just don't person. lie. No. Just don't lie. Try your yeah. best. That's what you've done. Before we finish up here, where can people find you? Mm. Uh, I do have an Instagram, uh, and that's 
that's the best way to see current things about the war, about the volunteers. Uh, once I started YouTube, I started to find success uh, with our work. And if you just type Brandon Mitchell Ukraine uh, into YouTube, uh, that's 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 probably half my job. Yeah, I, I do my work, and at night I edit my videos. And yeah. I put them out a few weeks later. When you know if it's yeah. if it's sensitive stuff. Yeah, yeah. That, yeah, Brandon Mitchell Ukraine on YouTube. Brilliant. Anyone listening out there, please go and follow Brandon. He is one special human being. Not all superheroes wear capes, mate. Mate. And oh, I can't help but think how proud your mum would be of you. Me. I um I want to make other people proud, like here in Bournemouth, if you'll humor me, or you'll just cut it. It's up to you. But uh, I, you know, I, I was three years clean when I came here and I just tried to do the best I could. But um, a lot of people in this town were good to me. Uh, a lot of people in this town, I was as good to them as they'd let me. A lot of people are closed off, you know, in England. Ukrainians aren't like that. Um, there's so many people I would have done. I would have always given the shirt off my back for them. But on a personal level, I don't want to be famous, but I just hope that all the people know me that that's always all you ever had to do was ask for my help. Mm. That's I re I love this town. I owe a lot to the people here, like like Les, yeah. like Steve Bendel. Yeah. Uh, if I didn't have Bournemouth, I w I would. Mm. Well, is big part of my journey. Yeah, I hear. You. Thank you. Thank you for coming on and uh, for your honesty. Thanks a lot. Been a real pleasure, Dodge. You're a gentleman. And if anything I can do to help, we've got each other's mobile number now. I'm here for you. Yeah, well, uh, I'm a volunteer on a donation budget. Want to bring me to chick? You can shout me chicken and blues. That'd yeah, be all right. No worries at all. Yeah, see, I'm shouting <laughs> other businesses in town now. You're a good man. Thank I've you. loved this. I've absolutely loved it. Thanks Thank for you. making the effort. You're a gentleman. It's been a real pleasure. Good man. Cheers, Thanks, bro. Lot. Thank you.